and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome, welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. The ancient church, which was at Laodicea, will be our focus today. This was a church which was spiritually lukewarm. Today in his sermon, Pastor Elliot will have us face up to the fact that there were, and that there still are, fake Christians. And fake Christians are dangerous. And now, with his message for this morning, our senior pastor, Robert Elliott. I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine a large, fancy hotel's convention room. I want you to imagine the room is full of men and women, suit and ties and uh, business suits for the ladies. And they're talking and they're sharing things. And you see over the door that it's an airline pilot's convention. And as you lean your head into the door of the convention room, you see all these pilots talking to each other about different things. There's a big problem, however. You come to find out that they are all imposters. None of them has ever flown an airplane, but they're posing as certified pilots, commercial airline pilots. That is not only a room of uselessness when it comes to flying safely, but it's also a room of great danger. The same could be said if you looked in another room and you saw heart surgeons convention and you looked and saw men and women discussing cardiac procedures and came to find out that they are all phonies as well. None of them has been to medical school, none of them is qualified to do open heart surgery and yet they are posing as cardiac surgeons. What we're going to see in this last letter to a literal ancient church in Laodicea is that there was a church made up of fake Christians. A church that may have known the language of the Lord, but did not personally know the Lord through faith. They were phony believers. Let me tell you about Laodicea a bit, and then we'll make the case that they are phonies. Laodicea was lying in a fertile and prosperous river valley. It was at the convergence of several trade routes, and it was a main banking center for all the region. It had a famous medical school. And it had a very unique black, glossy kind of wool that the sheep there produced. They were a proud city. In AD 60, there was a major earthquake that leveled Laodicea as a city. But what made them proud was they did not accept one dollar, in our terminology, from Rome, the empire of Rome. They took no money, no subsidization to rebuild their city. They looked after themselves, thank you very much. They had the resources and the know-how to rebuild Laodicea after it was leveled in 60 AD by a massive earthquake. And so they were proud. In this river valley, the Lycus River Valley, where Laodicea was situated, they were on the south side of the river, and on the north side of the river was Herapolis. Herapolis was elevated above the river valley, and it had famous hot springs of water. 
And so what would happen is as the hot springs of water above Laodicea were produced at Hierapolis, they would waterfall down from Hierapolis down across the river plateau and they would flow into Laodicea. The problem was that those hot springs where they sourced in Hierapolis were hot there, they were lukewarm by the time they cascaded down a waterfall, went across the river plateau, and wound up in Laodicea. It was lukewarm, it was tepid. It was neither hot nor cold, it was nauseating. By the way, if you ever want to uh, throw up while you're doing a sport, drink lukewarm water as much as you possibly can. It'll work every time. Now, let's read what was written to this particular Church, I'm in Revelation 3, 14 and following. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God says this. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and I have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see." They were famous in Laodicea for an eye salve, a powdered, a white powdered eye salve you mixed with water into a paste and you put it on eyes that were ailing. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. And he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As I mentioned in the opening illustrations, airline pilots who don't know how to fly and cardiac surgeons who don't know how to operate are useless. But worse than useless, they are dangerous, extremely dangerous. And I'm making the point that I believe that the ancient church in Laodicea were false Christians. One reason I believe that is there is absolutely no commendation to this church. There is nothing the risen Christ can look at in this group of pretenders and commend, nothing. The other thing is, look at the list in verse 17. It is quite a negative description. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. I searched a little bit in God's word this week. Six times in the total Bible, the idea of being wretched comes out. Three times in the Old Testament and three times in the New Testament. Of those six mentionings of wretched, two of them are places. Places on a map that are called wretched. One of the instances of a wretched place was a reference to hell. And then two of the references were by believers who were self-evaluating their walk with Christ. One was Moses in Numbers 11. He talked about being a wretch. 
And the other was in the New Testament in Romans 7 when the Apostle Paul says that he was wretched. What this means is never in the Old Testament or in the New Testament does God look at a believer in him and call that person wretched. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas. Today we're going to pick up on Jesus and relationships. How do we play a peacemaker in relationships? Last week we talked about how for us as believers, we need to recognize that murder is not just something that when we when somebody is killed, but as a believer, if we say that we hate someone, if we have anger in our hearts against someone, then we have committed murder in our hearts already. And this morning we want to pick up on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as he continues to talk about what we must do. And he says this in Matthew 5, verse 23, says, So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first and go reconcile with your brother or sister, and then come quickly to offer your gift. You see, this passage of Scripture is, is so key to, to us in our church and our relationship because it is telling us that even if we don't have something against someone, but we know of a person who has something against us, we need to make things right with that person. You see, we can't fully worship God if we have relationships that are broken. Now, you may be listening to this and you may say, well, what do I do when a person doesn't accept my forgiveness or accept what I'm saying to them? What I would say to you is that you need to make sure, the Bible talks about it, we need to do whatever we can to make peace with that person. We need to go whatever step we can go. You see, there are too many times in our lives where we consider that when people have something against us, we just cut them off, or we have something against them, we just cut them off, and we want nothing to do with them. But the Bible is very clear that we need to try to mend those relationships. We need to try to make sure that what we are doing is to bring honor and glory to God. You see, with all the negativity around us and people throwing things at us, we need people in our lives to encourage us. So as Jesus is saying here that we need to make sure that before we come to him and come to worship him, we need to make sure that our relationships with other people are in line, that everything is good. And I know this is very hard for us because we don't know everyone who has something against us. We don't know people who don't like us. And I'm gonna, am I going to tell you that everyone's going to like you? No, because that's another story. Because if everyone loves you and likes what you're doing, then you have to ask yourself, what are you doing? Because as a believer, not everyone's going to like you because if you're pursuing Christ, the world is not going to love you. But Jesus makes it very clear that we need to make sure that before we come to worship God, and before we come to the altar, before we come to Him in prayer, we need to make sure that we reconcile relationships with our brothers and sisters. Verse 24 makes it very clear. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister. Then come quick and offer your gift. You see, Jesus wants to make sure that we don't have anything else in our lives that is bothering us when we come to the altar, when we come to worship him, when we come ready to give him everything. But he wants us to make sure that we don't prolong this process. As it says, go quickly. Verse 25, even continues on, says, Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court. Or your adversary will hand over to the judge and to judge the officer, and you will be thrown to prison. You see, 
Jesus even saying about taking people to court, he wants to make sure, you know, don't, don't get to that point. You see, we live in a society today where in, in our, as teenagers are fighting in school and murders are up and people are, you know, killing people over small things. We are living in a world where this is just so applicable to us that we need to try to reconcile, where we need to, in some cases, go for help. You see, when you have anger in your heart, who knows what you can do? When you have anger in your heart, you don't think clearly. You don't think straight. You do things that you regret later on. There are many people who are now in prison. If you ask them a question why they did what they did, they will probably tell you they don't know why they did. They were angry and they regret what they did. It's because they didn't deal with what the problem really was. It was anger. And sometimes people are killed because, not even because they have something against that person, but because other relationships are bad, people just snap and cause harm to those who they love. I would challenge you as you consider this, if you're listening to this broadcast, whether you're a young person or an older person, if, you're, if you have an anger problem, you need to deal with it. You need to understand that we have a, a God who can bring peace in your relationship. We have a God who can bring peace in your life. There we have a God who came to this earth to die for us, who sent his son to die for us so that we could have a relationship with him. Does this mean that every relationship is going to be perfect? No. But I can tell you in my own personal life, if I didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I could tell you my life would be a completely different mess. Because I have a God who I can have hope in, a God who I can see a picture of peace, a God who sent his son, Jesus, who, as he went to the cross, was thrown insults at him. And the Bible says he did not open his mouth. In today's society, if someone says something to you, the first thing people say is you need to get him back. But that's not what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus done as, as he went to the cross and as people was you know, throwing insults and spitting on him. He did not open his mouth. He did the task that his father had set before him to come to this earth, to die for people like for you and for me. Because we struggled with sin. We struggled with the problem that only he can pay the price for. So I would challenge you as you consider these relationships, as you could think of a person right now who... You know, I need to make things right with this person. I need to go talk to them. I need to, you know, see what I can do to make things right because I do not want to be a murderer. And again, I'm not talking about taking someone's life, but just having that hatred in your heart against someone that you've already murdered them in your heart and your mind. Because let's be honest, we have a lot of murderers running around this country. We have a lot of murderers running around in different schools. Because we have so many different broken relationships that we have already have hate toward people. And in some cases, we don't even know why. And in some cases, it's so small that all we have to do is talk things through and we can mend those relationships. Again, this is Pastor Nicholas, and we are going to continue talking about what the Bible says that we must do as we consider talking about how do we mend these relationships. As the God's Word is very clear on what we should do as believers. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper 
and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. This question comes to us from Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. And I will read them. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his garment as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said, Come, see the place where he was lying, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take my word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they shall see me. The question is, to whom did Christ appear on the day of his resurrection? Well, in the first place, there were five appearances of Jesus on that day. First, Jesus appeared alive to Mary Magdalene. See Matthew 28, verse 1, Mark 16, verses 9 to 11, and John 20, verses 11 to 18. Secondly, on that day of resurrection, Jesus appeared alive to Mary and other women. See Matthew 28, verse 1. See Matthew 28, verses 9 and 10. Third, on the day of resurrection, our Lord, risen from the dead, appeared to Simon Peter. We see that in Luke 24, verses 33 to 35, and 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5. Fourth, still on the first day of his resurrection, the risen Jesus appeared to the two disciples. Uh, we see that in Luke 24, verses 13 through 32. Fifth and last, on the first day after rising from the dead, Jesus appeared alive to the ten apostles. Mark 16, verse 14, Luke 24, verses 36 to 43, and John chapter 20, verses 19 through 25. And now, today's personal God story. Well, this morning I'm thrilled to be in the studio with my sister in Christ, uh, Gwen Hepburn. Good morning, Gwen. Good morning, Pastor. We are going to chat with uh, your gracious permission about some areas of your life that have been challenging but that you've seen God be totally faithful within. 
So the first question I'd like to ask you, Sister Gwen, uh, what did you do when you had concerns in your marriage? Well, Pastor, um, to be honest with you, I did nothing. I really didn't do anything because I was really taken aback by it because I wondered why this was happening to me because I know that I haven't done anything, you know, to deserve this. And then I started blaming myself. Yes. You know, I didn't even speak to my family members Mm -hmm. or anything. So I really carried that by myself, which is really not a good thing. Right. Because I later found out that I really should have um, sought Christian counseling. Yes. And that's what I did. But not until after I internalized a lot of things, and it made me physically sick. Yes, so the hurt of uh, that experience was something you first dealt with alone with your Lord. And uh, it was something you weren't really willing to talk about even to your own family. I think that's a common response to the kind of uh, marriage concerns that we're going to uh, delve into today in your story. Second question, uh, what was your response uh, when you found out that your husband was uh, cheating on you? Wow. To be honest, again, I blamed myself. You wonder again, what have I done? Mm -hmm. Was I not good enough? Mm Was I not pleasing him? Mm-hmm. You know, you you really feel violated. Sure. You feel like you want to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really, mm-hmm. you feel like you want to die. Um, because with me personally, I take marriage very seriously. Yes. Because I made a vow before man and God. Yes. And I intended keeping that Mm -hmm. and I think because of that it made me feel violated Mm -hmm. you know and I found out too it was lack of communication also which I've noticed in a lot of marriages Um, they're not communicating the way they should yes Uh, so you you really end up blaming yourself I I can speak from a woman's point of view. Yes. Now, when you mentioned communication, are you you saying, Gwen, that um, often adultery uh, comes out of uh, an absence of communication in a marriage? Is that what you meant? No, I I wouldn't even really say that because I think, to me, that's the loss of the flesh. Yeah. You know, but I would think the cheating spouse if it is something that needs to be worked out with their spouse yes they need to communicate to them what their needs are absolutely absolutely my understanding is that physical intimacy in a marriage is but a a final expression of all kinds of other oneness that a couple is supposed to have, you know, raising the children, handling money, uh, enjoying one another socially, whatever the case might be. Now, you have used the expression, Sister Gwen, uh, that the thief comes to kill and to destroy. Uh, What do you mean when you use that phrase? The reason why I use that phrase is because 
during my challenges in seeking the Lord, he showed me that the thief doesn't just come into your home. Before a thief really come into your home, they normally watch you, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like that. And when they, if a thief break into your home, again, you feel violated because they've been all through your personal belongings. They've been all through your house. Yes. So in a marriage, when you have a cheating spouse, what, what I meant was the third party that would come in, mm-hmm. that's the thief. Yes. Because I know this was what was showed to me during um, my prayer session. Yes. That that's a thief. They come in, they destroy the marriage, they destroy the home, Mm -hmm. and for me again, being the wife, my husband was the head of our home. Yes. So when, when the head is out of order, it causes friction yes. in the home. The third party that would come in, they're stealing your joy. Yes. I mean, it's a number of things that, 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 that because even the monetary funds and everything, yeah. you know, would end up going out in some marriages. Yes. So it destroys the home. And it, uh, a lot of times, Anyone could kill the relationship. Yes. You know, so that, that is what I mean by the thief coming in and destroying. And I need um, people to, you know, realize and to understand what's going on, you know. And, and I think that's why the Lord revealed that to me. Yes, that is a tremendous insight. And... Um, um, one of the things I've shared from the pulpit for our church family is that um, oftentimes the world uh, puts a, a more pleasant name on something that the Bible calls uh, something more serious. For instance, um, uh, persons will say that they have had an affair. Well, no, they, they've ha- not had an affair. They've committed adultery. And so what you're picturing uh, as, as a wife who's been in this situation is the third person who came in um, as a thief it was an adulteress. She, you know, that is what she was. And um, you're, you're absolutely right that the, the, the damage and the losses and the costs to uh, you as the faithful spouse, to your children, to um, virtually everyone is immense. Um, and just before we get to your next question, my next question for you, um, it, it is totally in line with our adversary, the devil's plan, in that uh, God has instituted a heterosexual, lifelong marriage to be a blessing a blessing to a culture, a blessing to a society, a blessing to the church, and a blessing to a nation. And so what the adversary, the devil, is working hard to do is to um, break up uh, marriages, to uh, break up families, 
And uh, unfortunately, he has been quite successful yes. in appealing, to, as you put it, to the lust of the flesh um, and other, and other uh, uh, things as well. And we'll pick up from here next time. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.